What's going on, guys? Welcome to Industry 4.0. Lucky number 13. So uh, got a couple of topics we can roll off the show with. Going into, speaking of the lucky number 13, the DEF CON convention in Las Vegas, as well as a little bit of news about Roomba. So um, it's good to finally get the whole crew back after a while. Irvin, you've been a little bit busy lately. I have. <laughs> We're missing a couple of episodes. I, I I forget how many I've not been on, but should be back. regular schedule. <laughs> That's the beauty of listening to this podcast. When you're not on it, you get to catch up on all the news. Yeah. The week. <laughs> and also, it's nice to actually like not know what the topics are and like get the hang of the episode. But um, we can just go ahead and just speaking of the podcast, just go ahead and jump right into the first topic, which um, I think, like, I, I want to say we talked about this before, but nobody seems to remember that in the pre-show. The Roomba CEO has come out this past week and confirmed that the Roomba will not, in fact, sell the layout of your room to the highest bidder. <laughs> um so I think what you might be remembering is because that the CEO did mention that they wanted to do this and then they kind of backfired and we were freaked out. I think this is just saving their butts. I just, them saving their butts because they're yeah. like, oh, no, 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 never mind. We're not going to sell your data. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember the, the quote wasn't even exactly um, wasn't even exactly indicating they would do that. So it was just saying that they have the technology to do this in a way to, I think the, the end goal of it was just so that way it's more battery efficient and knows how to better map the room out. Um, but, and they also, I guess, went on to say that they would never do this without explicitly requiring your permission to sell this layout. But, um, and while initially I'm kind of shocked by the fact that a company could go ahead and sell the floor plan of your house, I'm not, like, I'm not 100% sure that that is something that's very valuable to people. <laughs> like, I don't know how much you can extrapolate from knowing someone's floor plan. There's a security so, risk. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, like, is it that much of a security risk if they know where my end table is versus like where my TV is? Like, I don't. It, yeah, if they break in the middle of the night, don't have to yeah. use a flashlight to give it away. They kind of know where they're going already. You know what? That actually brings up a good thing. What if. This actually opens up a whole new window for blind robbers. They have the floor plan laid out. So they can they can get this if they can get this in some way that they can interpret it, then they know your floor. So by IP address, maybe. There's a, yeah. a blind supervillain out there who you know kicked off the Roomba back in the day and just reached this point. Daredevil. He's on you. But for me, do you guys remember the Connect 360? Yeah. Uh, do you remember no. the data process by any chance? Because that yeah. scanned your room. Oh yeah, it did yeah. a 3D layout oh, of your room. Yeah. Connect, yeah, definitely did. Right, then, and, and I feel like Microsoft would be way more likely to sell your your room's layout than Roomba. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah but Connect is sort of dead now. The new one well, Xbox One X or whatever is coming out uh, next this fall doesn't even have a Connect port on it. So I think <laughs> the current Xbox One doesn't even have the port. Do you have to buy an adapter just to use it on the slim model? Is that like a backwards compatibility thing? I I think it's because they so they took it out of the out of the system to to save money on or so uh, to justify dropping the price from five hundred to four hundred bucks, and then um, 
people were like, oh, no one has it anymore. Like, you're not forced to have it. Okay, cool. We're not going to develop with it in mind anymore. That makes sense. It kind of just died. So, yeah. Also, I didn't really know people who really played the Kinect games all that much besides like Just Dance. (laughs) I remember uh, playing one where you had to go through like a obstacle course or something in my memory of it, which could very well be a lack of memory is hitting my head on the ceiling when i jumped <laughs> I, I feel like there's a man out there out there named uh dan shabbos who would have loved that type of game maybe maybe just a quick shout out though <laughs> but um but yeah so roomba won't be selling your data so that's that's good to know um who knows if they're going to be caught doing this a couple of years down the line because that tends to happen. They're like, no, 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 we're not going to do this. No, right. then, like it's going to be buried in some terms of service. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll I, see. I think it would be more interesting to see what it's actually vacuuming up. It's like, it's like going through, uh, have you ever seen a uh, master of none? Have you guys ever seen that show on Netflix? Mm-hmm. Yes. A little bit, yeah. Love yeah. that show. The episode where he's going, he goes to his dad's office for the day and he sees like all the stuff that his dad pulled out of people's stomachs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it'd be something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just the items you find on people's carpets that get vacuumed up. Especially like how it goes into the couch and all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It's like the hammerhead shark of vacuums. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in, same, in similar news, since people were worried about, were worried about the security risks of having a Roomba spy on people, um, has anybody paid attention to the DEF CON convention that happened. I know that's not something that that many people would be keen on. Um, just for anybody who doesn't know, the DEF CON convention is the largest hacker convention in Las Vegas held annually. And at that event, they usually have a series of conferences, talks, and demonstrations. And they even have um, like little quote-unquote villages, which is just like large quantities of commercial-grade machines just so people can test hacks on these machines. Um, And one of these, the one that was special this year for who knows what reason they would want to test these things, but they tested voting machines to see how secure voting machines were this year. And they they purchased, like, I think there was five or six different brands uh, voting machines and these are your typical ones that you go into when you go to vote for whatever election the local primary presidential election whatever you want to vote for and the hackers were able to break into most of these in less than a minute like it <laughs> it's it was and these these were companies that were you know you guys have all seen the claims whether it's like hdmi cables or any kind of thing that involves security it's like military grade this that the other thing these were claiming like Military-grade encryption, um, they were deemed unbreakable, unhackable by the companies that were selling them. Um, they were sold as as super secure, um, super secure technologies to help people vote. And every single one of them was hacked into in matters of minutes. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me in the least. Mm-hmm. Like, I... I mean, first off, I feel like almost anything, if you put a group of hackers in there, it's going to get hacked sooner or later. But, like, it's, it doesn't, su- does it surprise you? Have you seen these things? Yeah. No, if you yeah. haven't voted before, walk into one, just find out. They look pretty easy to take care of. Like, it doesn't yeah. seem like the most complicated uh, process, or I don't know, man. It's, it doesn't surprise me even a little bit. I don't we know were kind of, we were kind of stripping apart the, 
the high level of skill and depth that the Hungarian hacker went into to take out that um, <laughs> the, the ticketing company last week. But um, a similar thing happened with one of these voting machines. Um, one of the voting machines, I think it was the win vote machine, it was found out that it was literally just running over, it was a skin running over top of Windows XP. And it had Wi-Fi enabled for some reason. I don't know why a voting machine would need a Wi-Fi connection for starters, but that's that's like that's all on the wayside. But that being said, this also had the Wi-Fi password was hard coded into the machine, which means if you got a password for one of them, you got a password for everything with that model number. It's ridiculous. And the best part is it's a WEP password. It's WEP. Oh, and WEP is the easiest password uh, security to to break by you, any computer. You could take the computer that's sitting in front of you right now, and you could brute force a wet password. Yeah, like, minutes. It's it's that easy. It's yeah. something that that was like that isn't urban. Wasn't that something from like the eighties or something like a just a. It was, it was one of the very first encryption technologies built into uh, Wi-Fi. So when, whenever Wi-Fi was introduced, WEP was one of the uh, first types of encryption that was used and uh, that has been hacked a long, long, long time ago. So there's open source tools that you can download that allows you to uh, hack any web-enabled uh, Wi-Fi network, uh, which shouldn't be that much available because now modern routers default to the WPA2 yeah. encryption a lot mm -hmm. to uh, hack. Um, yeah. And what, hey, Matt, would you want to go into depth on on what a brute force attack actually is? Um, brute force is as simple as it sounds. A brute force attack is simply just trying every number of possible combination of password combinations or key past phrases just literally starting from like one 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 and like working your way up all the way through all the possible character combinations and see so using a dictionary as yeah. your uh, as a starting point so you try every word in the dictionary you try variations of it so you replace a no with a zero and you try all those little tricks so that's all built in so the computer goes through all those possibilities that it could be mm -hmm. Uh, as quickly as it can. So, computers are fairly fast these days, so they can go through, through those very fast. So there's a lower outcome. There's a higher. I mean, there's a higher probability that you will succeed a brute force attack on a WEP as opposed to a WPA encryption. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So they can they can put just a Wi-Fi sniffer out there and capture those WEP packs uh, packets, and that allows them to uh, just quickly crack them. Uh, just by capturing those packets and reverse engineering what's uh, the the traffic going through the air. Um, WPA2 is quite a bit harder than that. It takes a long time. That'd be, mm -hmm. that'd be with a utility like Wireshark or something like that, right? Uh, Wireshark, you would just net, uh, uh, monitor the traffic on your network, so it's a little bit different. Um, off crack, uh, OPH crack is one, I think, for Wi-Fi. Uh, there's uh, there's several other, other tools that are built just for this Wi-Fi type of hacking. And you need, like, special Wi-Fi radios that enable you to, like, just capture packets right out of the air. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you can turn them what's called monitor mode. 
and that allows you to just basically just capture anything that's coming through that the that that the antenna sees you can just capture and analyze that packet if it's encrypted then you can work out to see what type of encryption it uses and if it's wp again it's very very quick yeah and it's it's the, these types of hacks are evident that these companies who come out with closed systems and proprietary solutions and hastily made voting machines built on top of Windows XP with hard-coded Wi-Fi passwords need the, to be, Yeah. Huh? Yeah, but one of the biggest mistakes that they made is calling them unhackable. You can't call anything in today's world unhackable. Mm -hmm. That's and, not... A and, company should never claim that, ever. And so, the worst part is, is that these weren't available for auditing. So top right. security experts and researchers had... This was the first time that most of them had ever seen these machines in the wild and were able to attempt to hack them. So they didn't know how secure, how insecure they were. So they weren't audited. They weren't validated. They weren't proven to actually function. Right. These companies, it's, it's a benefit to everyone for mm -hmm. them to make uh, everything open and here, invite the hackers, uh, mm -hmm. bug bounty like some companies are now doing that are inviting hackers to say, hey, here's our software, come hack it, and we'll give you a reward if you do, because that makes everything safer for everybody else. I wonder if any of these were vulnerable to Chrome developer tools, like that uh, Hungarian ticketing system. <laughs> Such uh, a... Is it, is it Microsoft right now offering something like um, $250,000 for uh, people who point out exploits? I think. I think it scales depending on the yeah. intensity of the exploit. Yeah. So um, I know one of the hardest exploits I think that that is to achieve is escaping a virtual machine and getting into the machine that's controlling that virtual machine. Hmm. Those are typically the highest reward or among the higher rewards because it takes more exploits to get through it. And I was uh, looking at some of the highlights from DEF CON last year. And there were a couple of virtual machine escapes that people were able to achieve at DEF CON. And the level of work that goes into getting them to actually succeed in these attacks is like mind boggling. They took like 14 well-known exploits working in sequence in the right order at the right time, attacking the right system in the OS to escape that. So like you could probably find a standard bug in Windows and they'll send you a reward but if you find something like that serious, they have more of an incentive to give you a lot more money because that could be seriously exploited. Yeah. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody else knows this, but I believe Microsoft is taking it a step further with their bug bounty system and they're rewarding people even if the bug has already been reported previously. So it's a, it's a way, just say, like, if you know something with the system, if you know something is wrong, go ahead and report it will reward you just because other people are seeing this too. So it's it's like a nice little system. So there's no incentive to be like, oh, this is an easy bug. Someone probably already found this. Stuff like that, you know? Right. And that's the importance of why people need to be able to test these systems because if you if you go out and claim something's unhackable, they're gonna embarrass you on stage. I don't know why you'd ever <laughs> pick those words. I just feel like that's antagonizing hackers <laughs> to do mm -hmm. the rest. White yeah. star line, anyone? Titanic was unsinkable. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> that and, um, iceberg showed them. Yeah. Iceberg was like, oh, he heard it. It was just an ice cube, but he heard it. But oh, you saw trash, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But um, got to hit this gym. <laughs> <laughs> Started off as just an ice cube. Finished yeah. it as that burger. <laughs> Did you guys hear that apparently uh, the some of the machines weren't completely wiped before? Yeah. Because <laughs> I was about to bring just, that up. Yep. Like over 600,000 personal records of voters were just on these machines. Yeah, they didn't wipe it before they sold it on eBay. Yeah, like that's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, my God. So not only and is then, it super easy to hack, but before they sell it, they're like, ah, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Yeah. It's under one footnote down here that hackers were also able to find administrative passwords for the machines via just doing a Google search. Oh <laughs> That's sick. There you That's go. absolutely sick. There you go. It's because they Rick rolled one of the boxes too. Can you imagine like walking <laughs> into the voting booth and just Rick roll starts playing? Should I should I add a startup script to a voting booth or something, guys? <laughs> Apparently, the WinVote machines, if we're looking at the same article, weren't fully secure. But I wonder who said that. Was it WinVote themselves who said, like, oh, no, we didn't fully secure it before. We're still unhackable. <laughs> or, like, whoever bought it was just like, all right, let's put the bare minimums up and see what happens. I don't know how how much of a worry some of the situations are. They even said, like, some of the equipment isn't used in today's elections anymore. Mm-hmm. But it is scary that it took, what, less than two minutes for every machine to be hacked. Like, that's that's not a – yeah, yeah especially with the, the current climate when we talked about the potential of another country hacking and affecting our, our votes. Like, it's mm-hmm. not – it's not something you want to see that easy. So. Yeah. Do you guys think we'll ever get to a point where we'll have an, an, a secure electronic voting system in the U.S.? Will, no. will, will we ever get to that point? Have we, we ever be- in the past? It's always I mean, been easy to, to alter you know, um, outcomes. Right. You can always fraudulently interfere. It would need to have a paper trail and it would need to be auditable. Right. Would something like a uh, blockchain type of tech that use, that's used in cryptocurrencies right now could something like that because that awful is a full trail of every action that could be some kind of interesting implementation of that type of tech to be used to verify votes all right listeners you heard it here first vote coin we're gonna make it (laughs) we're gonna make it and i i really think that that could work something with an encrypted reference back to the last uh change to the blockchain some kind of ledger that cannot be altered and it can be right. proven that it cannot be altered to the highest degree because at that point it's math right right so i wonder if that could be applied and i wonder if we'll see a cryptocurrency based around voting like with a product backed by voting in a way you let's know? go for it i used to be good at math yeah there we go i'll try you good I was at prime, a math major maybe, for two and a half years are you good at prime factorization in any way sure all right let's cool. go with that Let's let's do some prime factorization of like forty-two digit numbers. We got it. Yeah. <laughs> but guys, what would the what would the major media companies do when they're uh, unveiling the results if they all came out at once? Yeah. There's no, no, no oh need for a recount exactly. ever. No exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We're good. Twenty-four hour news cycle. It's just gone. <laughs> they would just set it at like a certain time at night, and then just have this big like wind up to it as people turned out to vote. <laughs> Oh man, I forgot about twenty-four hour news. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, but yeah. So DefCon is one of the coolest conventions, just because of like the crazy amount of stuff that people do. Like the um, there's there's several of the the bigger conferences there. I for, I didn't get to see a lot of them, but there was one. 
um, that I brought up for the the show notes that um, the robot that was able to crack a safe in under a half an hour. It's that's crazy that it was it's like this is one of your standard consumer safes that um, this robot was they like it looked like it was it looked almost like a connector set like clamp thing and it just stuck to the front of the case. Yeah, it was three and, Huh? It was 3D printed a uh, little safe cracker that cost around $200 to put together. Oh my god, that's so cheap. How many digits? <laughs> how many digits were on the knob of that safe? Um, does the article say? Well, it uh one of the numbers in the combination was 93, so I assume 99. Two. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. two to two digits. Yeah, yeah. So it's saying that there's uh you know a million possible combinations, but I don't. Did you guys see these details? That um, the last number had a slightly larger indent on the dial, which reduced the combinations to like ten thousand. And then they also discovered the safe was designed so that um, it allowed for a margin of error for like user error. So, so you, you only to... have to check every three digits. <laughs> because oh my God. It, yeah. You didn't have to put it on the exact number. So that reduced it to only a possible combinations of 1,000. So <laughs> went from a million combination possibilities to what, a 1,000. So that made it quite a bit easier. There's your math mm-hmm. lesson. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise me at all if a lot of safes were like that too. My yeah, locker was like that in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to get on the exact number. Everybody ever your elbow, locker right? People trying to steal all my notes to girls. <laughs> Trapper keeper. <laughs> oh, man. Stay away from my TI calculator, dog. Don't even come near it. There's an additional note on this bottom of this article where it says some Century Safe models were, uh, have an additional lock and key, uh, but that team, the, the same team, was able to unlock it by just using a big pen. <laughs> That's nice. awesome. So nice that nice name drop too. Do anything, <laughs> and um, this is it's it's important to note because this is like a standard consumer lock yeah. that like people buy for just safe documents or safekeeping. Um, so I guess this basically means that if you're going to buy a safe, you should buy a digital lock because this can't crack digital. Because at that point, I think it's just down to getting it's just brute forcing a combination at that point. So. I think we're going to possibly it would be interesting to see if you if the combination goes away and you just start seeing more purely digital locks but at that point I think you might now that I'm like talking about this out loud you might actually need some kind of a physical failsafe in case if you had a power loss or if you couldn't power up the digital keypad for the combination so it's just it's cool to see like all the things that come out of hacking conventions because people have these technologies that people sit comfortably and think it's super safe. And then these guys come around and they're like, no, it's actually pretty easy to crack into these things. It's not very difficult. We can rickroll a voting machine. You know, it's not tough. Interesting too. Is it saying that the robot cost about $200 to put together? Yeah. That's what Irvin said. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Irvin, I didn't hear that, but that's, um, that's nuts. Yeah, 3D cheap. printed parts. Like that's insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I saw this um, other article that I didn't put in the show notes that they were um, able to. It's like a technology that's coming out that it's like called the Atlas, and it allows them to rapidly 3D print metal, um, metal like tools and uh, stuff using like titanium and things. So imagine 
that technology coming down the line with the advent of 3D printing getting cheaper and that cost is only going to go down as the overhead goes away. So I'd imagine you'd see these things being employed by like the FBI and by governments and by even like malicious parties. So it's cool. Um, Irvin, were there any other takeaways from DEF CON that you had paid attention? I know if anybody followed DEF CON, it would be you out of the out of the group. <laughs> Is there any anything else from DEF CON that you thought was interesting? So there's one sort of related to DEF CON. So I, you guys probably remember the WannaCry. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about this. Big hack that, that happened. And there was a security researcher who figured out that the WannaCry malware was reaching out to this weird obscure uh url and he mm -hmm. found that it wasn't registered so what he did was register that url and what that url turned out to be is like a uh, a safety cutoff or a, what what else would you call like that a kill switch a kill switch exactly a kill switch okay uh, so after he registered it all the WannaCry uh software uh malwares that were installed on the computers couldn't uh, function anymore properly so they couldn't uh, install themselves on any other computer or you can uh, it would just stop stops the spreading so uh, the reason I'm bringing this up because that same security researcher was at DEFCON and he's not from the US and he was leaving trying to leave the US and he was detained at the border uh, while he was trying to, after he was uh, leaving uh, DEFCON mm -hmm. um, I gotta look up the exact details on why, but I know I definitely saw that. They said that he was the creator of some like known malware, or yeah, something it like wasn't that. wasn't related to WannaCry yeah. at all. The reason that they detained him, but um, um, like that's a creative firewall. But at the same time, they're probably thinking, well, how did he think that? You know, mm -hmm. off the top of his head, I'm gonna go find the URL real quick and register it under my name and cut it off. Yeah, he didn't know that's it was part of they're detaining him. Yeah, he didn't know it was going to cut it off. Well, he didn't he's claiming he didn't know. He's claiming he didn't know, right? <laughs> it's all about what you can prove. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but this is also an important thing where it's like, if you're a hacker, don't come to the U.S. because you're probably not going to be able to leave the country with all you're these all of us. <laughs> you hear all these horror stories from like the the border, <laughs> like the border patrol and all the people yeah. who are um, like the the customs and stuff like that you hear all these like nightmare stories of like that one guy who was detained in the airport um by customs just because they wanted access to his phone and he refused and they detained him for like eight hours just like this you could go home if you just kind of you know gave us the pin for your phone and he's like why there's no reason why why you need to break into my phone you're not telling me why like I, I don't have to cooperate until you give me a valid reason why he was like being super relaxed with them. And it was like an interrogation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I pulled up the article. His name is Britain Britton. Uh, he was, he's from the, uh, he's, he's a British uh, security researcher and he was uh, stopped for a separate malware attack claim. So he was arrested over his alleged role in creating Kronos malware targeting bank accounts. Right. Yeah. That was a banking mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, that was back in twenty four between twenty fourteen twenty fifteen. Um, so it's not related to WannaCry at all. But apparently, he they have evidence uh, saying that he was involved in that malware attack uh, back in twenty fourteen. Uh, so we'll see what comes of it. But. Yeah, I wonder if him 
finding out how to break wanna cry will be enough of a of like a grace for him to get out of jail for the bank thing here's a question how hard is it to place digital evidence right yeah because you can spoof ip addresses that's right. not hard mm -hmm. right but courts have ruled that ip addresses aren't people that's an official ruling so you can't tie an ip address to a person's activity yeah you can street say part. that yeah street so I'm sorry, man. Go ahead. That, yeah. So you can say that, let's say someone was, uh, the reason that this ruling with came that IP addresses aren't people because some people, some, uh, someone got, uh, dinged for, uh, downloading copyrighted material. And they're like, Oh, I have had my Wi-Fi access point open. It wasn't me. I, anybody could have just joined my Wi-Fi access and downloaded that copyrighted material and the court ruled that yeah you can't prove that that the person in that house was the one uh just by looking at their ip address and what that ip address what account that ip address is tied to right ip addresses so, aren't one-to-one -one. right yeah. are you telling me these guys are that stupid that they wouldn't go to like a coffee shop like dunkin Donuts with free wi-fi use a vpn through there and just have like an untraceable trail here yeah like those four network smells like different hops and you have no idea where they're coming from um, right. Yeah, or even just using it, that, like I say, yeah, they don't have to leave. Right. So, like, like I said, like street crime is a little harder. They they can plant evidence on you. They plant drugs. They plant weapons. Whatever. But this is like, oh, we'll just throw a number at you. Say it was your IP address. Who can prove that it wasn't? Mm -hmm. Right. And um, this is also related to that one uh, Canadian guy who was running that Docker, uh, who got taken down by the Canadian authorities. Um, they like suspected his account of being involved in anti-piracy material and they like raided his house. And this wasn't even the police. This was lawyers who raided and they detained him. They took his phone. They took all of his like technology. They took everything and they detained him for, I think the warrant had 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. But they said that the, de the detainee was held until midnight, which is four hours past. Did they show up in suits with briefcases and beat them with the briefcases? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I honestly wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but like, they just have these like unethical ways of handling people who hack and who test systems and no real evidence of them actually doing it online. And mm -hmm. you just get these random people who lash out. Like that's not something that people should do because like Irvin said, you can't trace it to just him. Right. So... I mean, this is a new realm of law, and it's like yeah. a serious gray area. Yeah. That's why I'm, like, struggling to come up with, like, possible ideas of, like, what would be done in these situations. Like, how do you defend <laughs> copyrights online? Is there a point to selling software? People are just going to get it if they want it anyway. True that. Either that or you can just yeah. claim attack proof, and then someone will get it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Unhackable. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Also, yeah, um, to add to the voting machine thing, um, some of the voting machines weren't only running Windows XP, they were running Windows CE also. So even older versions of Windows. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's you, history in software form right there. You could, what about honestly, Emmy? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know about Emmy. The water wheel of operating systems. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't. you probably could just run these things on a Raspberry Pi. To be honest, like I can't imagine it requires that much processing power and graphics to run a voting and, machine. And then you could take the voting machine away, and that's your way of compromising it. 
Oh man! But can um, I, can I shout out to Dan Lowe real quick? What level of uh, processor do we need to run XP? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a thing called Google for that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, with that being said, uh, I think we had a bit, little bit of a quicker first half. So, anybody have any final thoughts they wanted to bring up on these topics before we wrap up the first half? Well, just quickly to answer that question. Minimum requirements for Windows XP, <laughs> Pentium 233 megahertz processor or faster, 64 megabytes of RAM, oh, 128 oh megabytes is recommended, <laughs> and 1.5 gigs of available space on hard disk. That's Breaking it. the bank here, That's man. That's it. Oh my nice. god. <laughs> I gotta upgrade my rig. Your Game Boy, your game boy could run that. <laughs> <laughs> I did have one thing. Uh, it's it, it's kind of more just to touch on like the the either very passive tech fan or like the non tech fan, someone who doesn't really pay attention to these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I think on the surface, it's easy to see something like DefCon and think like, oh, why are you even letting all these hackers get together and practice? It's like, well, they're going to practice anyway. Mm-hmm. So like on the surface, if you're not really into this kind of stuff, it might seem like a bad idea. But what we're really doing is learning how impressive these guys are how impressive these are these guys it seems like are doing it for hobbies unless you're the guy getting stopped when he's trying to leave the country like you're it seems like you're doing it for hobby more than anything and it's more of a way to show hey um everything that you think is super secure and all your information it's not it's you need to be safer because it's not safe out there right and not to mention some of the parties that are hosting defcon belong to facebook cloudflare Mm -hmm. um and all these and Google and all these other really large companies. So it's in their best interest to have as secure of a system as possible and to like, it's a weird way to phrase it almost, but like provide like a safe space for hackers to show their stuff and show off um, like just exactly what you can do in terms of hacking. Like they have a segment in DEF CON for hacking into automotive infotainment systems and cars um, they have a segment for like now they have the voting village that you can that you can participate in, not to mention like hours on hours of security talks from top experts in the, in the field. Um, so it's important not only to us to learn what's breaking and what we need to fix, but it's important to them to learn how to best help their companies too. Yeah. And- I- I also want to point out, like, it's it's a good opportunity for these corporations to have access to these communities because it's not. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take away from the brilliance of these people, but these people also belong to communities. Right. They they have learned things from other people, wherever these people are. It could be on the deep web, wherever. But they've mm-hmm. learned how to hack certain features through other people, and it builds and builds and it builds. It builds mm-hmm. on on the features itself. Right. And also something else is ninety percent of these. I mean, if not, maybe more are responsibly disclosed before DEFCON. So a lot of these going into this are resolved well before the convention. So there's like almost no risk of coming out of this and people being That's able also to... That, yeah, it's the main seller. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah they, they typically, I think the standard is give a notice, 90 day notice to the companies uh, before you are allowed <clears throat> to give uh, the information out publicly. So that gives an, enough time for the companies to go ahead and fix uh, those issues and sometimes the companies don't right. do that sometimes that 90 day lapses and the hacker gets like yep i'm just gonna release it too bad yeah. you didn't <laughs> you didn't fix it it's your fault yeah uh, 
I warned you. Um, but but yeah, that is that is Defcon in a nutshell. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to go. I it's in love- Vegas. Yeah, to go. Yeah, just don't just uh, one thing. Don't don't bring your phone. Yeah, I was just gonna say the same thing. <laughs> don't, bring, <laughs> don't, bring, don't bring any pro, uh, any access cards, any credit card. No, no. It's actually that you're not wrong with that, Jeff. DefCon is notorious for people hacking and like victims around DefCon being accidentally hacked into. Like not accidentally, sometimes like, on purpose. Yeah, they, they have a thing called the Wall of Sheep. So this wall will list any information that has been snooped or hacked of the people attending that conference. <laughs> people who forgot to turn off Wi-Fi on one of their devices or anything. Nice. So it's just going to list your name and any other information that they found about you uh, <laughs> or right on this wall, publicly available to anyone at that conference. Mm-hmm. Urban, how do you know about this again? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, <laughs> no comment. Man does his research. I know the, the guy you got the guy who got arrested in Hungary was a scapegoat, right? Ooh. <laughs> Cut the stream. Cut Is somebody who's traveling? Cut the stream. <laughs> but um, a lot of these, a lot of the people who go to these, like you were saying, Irvin, they'll bring uh, burner phones and uh, laptops, so that way they don't expose any of their personal information. So. If you're even even for someone who's not interested in DefCon, if you go to Las Vegas that time of year and you happen to see a convention going on around you called DefCon, turn off your Wi-Fi and be very wary of any extra cell phone towers that you may access. One, 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 one fun story related to that is someone posted there was a UPS store uh, right near the DefCon convention, and there they posted a sign uh, during the convention that says. During the DEF CON convention, we will not accept anything that with a USB drive to be plugged into our printers uh, at all. <laughs> you have to e- either email it directly to us for it to be printed uh, on our printers, or we can't do it. They're like, nope, we're not allowing anyone to like randomly plug <laughs> our printers because it could hack they're saying that from experience we're not saying that it's a precaution yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a reason that sign is up because sure you know that someone yeah. has already hacked it yeah. yes it's the same reason why coffee cups say caution hot exactly <laughs> <laughs> the wet floor sign wasn't invented because they were like someone might slip it's because someone slipped yeah. Yeah. Or, 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 or if the carton of milk it says contains milk um <laughs> He doesn't I'm say. <laughs> you guys remember the Kramer hot coffee episode, right? Seinfeld? Dude, yeah. that, that's an actual thing, though. The coffee cup. Yeah. Someone spilled and got burned, and they sued and won a ton of money. So now they have to put coffee's hot. Somebody sued Red Bull because he didn't get wings, and they settled. That's, uh, that's also... ridiculous. Oh, I should have been the guy who did that. <laughs> I've thought about that, actually, as a joke, but that's interesting that it actually happened. How dumb am and I? They, they, uh, that's why they're calling uh portable computers uh notebooks instead of laptops because some guy uh, like the story is that he drank too much fell asleep and had his laptop on his lap and it burned his legs and he sued and won a bunch of money that way oh my god yep <laughs> people well, will start lawsuits over anything yep but yeah anyways anyways um i think that brings 
a resounding end to the first half. Sure does. Just remember, if you enjoy DEFCON, make sure you check out VillainCon as well. <laughs> Followed by HenchmanCon shortly after. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so we got an exciting second half coming up for you guys. Uh, thanks for joining us in the first half. Hope you learned a little bit about DEFCON and a little bit about what not to do in Vegas when you're near this convention. So... Uh, with that being said, uh, we will see you guys in the second half. Welcome back. Episode 13, technically our 14th episode, but we'll talk about that later, uh, of Industry 4.0. Thanks for sticking with us. If you're watching on YouTube, thanks for sticking with us through the break. Uh, we know sometimes they, they can go a little long, so we appreciate you still hanging in there. Uh, if you are listening to this this weekend, that means that you're probably listening through one of the many services that we are online right now. You may have seen our link tweeted out on Twitter. And if not, you have to follow us to see it. It's at Industry 4.0, all spelled out. If you didn't catch us on YouTube, make sure you search Industry 4.0. You'll find us pretty easily, I think. Uh, but if you want to get that pod class, that audio glory to your ear holes, make sure you check out Google Play. You can check out the iTunes store, Industry 4.0. You're going to look for that white symbol with the black and green gears with the word industry in it. Uh, and while you're there, feel free. Let us know what you're thinking. Leave us some four-star, five-star reviews, however you want to to rate us. I think it should be five stars, but we still want to hear that feedback regardless. So let us know how you're doing. And I made a promise last week that anybody leaves us a five-star review on iTunes, you'll get a shout-out right here on the podcast. That being said, we do have a couple interesting topics, one near and dear to our hearts. We've talked about them so many times here, and especially near and dear to Irvin's heart. <laughs> Irvin, please <laughs> tell us, tell us about the Model Three. What's going on there? Yeah, so uh, exactly a week ago uh, today, Tesla held their official handover party for the Model Three. So they started uh, with the first thirty deliveries of uh, Model Threes going to Tesla employees. Uh, so it was a huge event for them. Um, about March of last year is when they initially did the first announcement of the Model 3 where they showed off the car, a couple of details about it, and they said by the end of this year, they're going to start making it, and they beat that goal. Um, so middle of this year, 
uh, they started actually making the cars and actually delivering them uh, to Tesla employees, just to, not to actual, well, they are actual customers, but um, first they're doing it to employees to reward them for all the hard work uh, that they have put in so far. So they're the first ones to get deliveries of these cars. Um, so the Model 3 is Tesla's uh, big uh, part. Uh, Model 3 is test does the last part of Tesla's model. Um, what do they call it? The master plan, right? So Tesla put out 10 years ago a master plan of what they were going to do uh, for uh, the next 10 years. Um, and Model 3 was the last big part of that is to release uh, a relatively affordable electric car that's available to the masses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they pulled that off. Um, some people are, are, after the fact, came out that it's not really that affordable, but it's right in the range of the median um, car market, right? So the average price for a car sold in the U.S. is $34,000 um, um, for the past couple of years. So this hits it right at 35000 So right in between and that median range for car prices. And um, it offers uh, two different ranges initially. Uh, so they're going to have a standard range vehicle with a range of 220 miles on a single charge. And then they're going to offer a long range version that goes uh, 310 miles. Right. Um, which is quite a bit uh, longer than the Chevy Bolt uh, for the long range version. A uh, Chevy Bolt can is maxed out as 238 uh, miles for a single charge. But the difference that Tesla has and the advantage that Tesla has already is their supercharger network that allows the cars to go that long distance uh, road trip if the if the driver wanted to. And they're expanding that, right? They're expanding that. Um, they said by end of this year, they're going to double it. By the end of next year, they're going to triple it um, around the world. So amount of chargers, you can literally go anywhere, almost anywhere in the world um, with a Tesla. That's their final goal. And all the other car manufacturers who are doing um, electric cars don't have that network. There are public charging stations available all over the country and all over the world but they're not this fast charger. So they typically take six to seven hours for a full charge. And if you're going on a road trip, that's not going to cut it. Right, uh, right. Yeah, you're, you're not going to sit around, time. right? You're going to add days on your trip. So with uh, the supercharger cha- uh, stations with the Model 3, you can get uh, 110 miles in 30 minutes. And that's enough to get to the next charging station. In that 30 minutes, you're going to stop Get a get a coffee, get a drink, go to the bathroom. You're not gonna sit in the car for three, four hour stretches going on long road trips. You can, but a lot of people have kids and they have to stop anyway. And you can always you know, like going on these. Yeah. <laughs> That's the eventual <laughs> goal, right? Yeah. Just fall, press a button, fall asleep, and um, it'll, it'll get you there. One of the questions that I have um, that I'm wondering um, what do you think that this 
kind of surprise price jump that the Model 3 has is going to do for their reservations. Because you had over 500,000 people put down $1,000 reservations on a card they believe to be very affordable. But Mm. now they're finding out that if they want all of the things that make it, essentially make it a Tesla, that it's going to run them closer to $55,000. As opposed to the forty-five dollars or $40,000 that they had initially believed would be the the price for like the fully loaded packages for the cars. Cause the article that uh, the verge article that we have in the show notes goes on to say that the base model Tesla is essentially just a glorified all electric Toyota Camry. Like it doesn't have a whole lot going for it. Like you don't, you get, you don't get power. You don't get the heated mirrors. You don't get um, power, the power steering adjuster or, or the seat adjusters or, any of like the fancy creature comforts that come with an all electric, like, personal vehicle. That so the interior of this car is very interesting. Um, they wanted to create something uh, unique. I don't know if there's an interior shot. There it is. Yeah. Um, they wanted. They completely removed every single button in the dash. Yeah, it's all on the big screen in the center. Yeah, everything is done on the big screen. And a lot of people who saw this, they're like, where are all my buttons? But Tesla's thinking of the future, right? They're planning ahead of when cars eventually will drive themselves. And an important note here, these cars that are being built right now have the capability, have the hardware built into them. If you decide to buy the option or not, uh, with the ability to, with a full self-driving, where you can press a button, fall asleep and wake up at this destination. That hardware is in every single car that they're shipping right now. It's not enabled because the software isn't ready there or the regulations on the government end isn't ready uh, to accept that, to allow that. But once it is, all they have to do is just turn that on, send out a software update and enable that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they built the dash in a very futuristic manner. There are no air vents in the cabin at all. You control where the air flows through the touchscreen. So there are air vents built in, but you can't see them. And you can move the air sort of like the Dyson Airblade. The air just comes out of these. It's a slit running across the whole dashboard, isn't it? Yes. And then you can control the air where it goes, the direction it goes, or the temperatures on each side of the cabin. Yeah. The car looks great. I'm just worried that this initial sticker shock of the price of this car being not exactly in mid-range i'm i'm worried that this could have a negative impact on their sales and yeah. they may not reach the numbers that they're anticipating yeah the price definitely ha- does jump with every single option that you add so you can quickly make this a, a 55 60,000 car but at that point you're better off getting a Model S. Um, and Tesla is actually telling people to go for the Model S. They don't want... <laughs> Elon has been very careful in wording every single time that they're talking about the Model 3. It's like, hey, the Model S is a better car. Yes, we know that. That is, get a Model S if you want the better car, if you can afford it. Mm-hmm. This a Model S, and they clearly state that in every single uh, announcement or talk that they do about the Model 3. As to the reservations, they did an earnings call earlier this week where they said 
since the announcement a week ago, uh, they were getting uh, 13 to 1400 new reservations a day uh, right. for Model 3 uh, since uh, yeah, a week ago when they announced that they were starting deliveries. Uh, but those reservations that are that people are making today, uh, the first time that they might be able to get the car is the end of next year. Yeah, which is a long wait time. I think that the the whole point of this question too is, I mean, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but that you're looking for something that's an affordable car, pretty much coming from Tesla. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a mid range. It's not, you know, it, there's a lot of aspects of it that make it a luxury vehicle, but it's not your typical luxury vehicle. Um, so do you guys foresee them coming out with something that's in the twenty to $30,000 range for all the bells and whistles and just, you know, anytime, anytime soon, pretty much? That's more, I think, what people were aiming for with this because um, yeah, the expectations were re- towards that exact well, what, thing. They were expecting a Model S for the same price for $35,000, and that's not worth what they're getting. Yeah. And, and clear in that message that's not where what people are were gonna get but people are still disappointed in a bit because that's what they're that's where their expectations were and i think they'll definitely get to that cheaper price but the right now the biggest cost factor of the car is the battery and tesla's mm-hmm. working on reducing that cost uh definitely uh by multiple factors uh as quickly as they can so that they can release let's say a twenty-five thousand or twenty thousand dollar uh, Tesla that that can drive a reasonable range uh, enough for most people. Yeah, and when you when you lay it out, people were in all the articles, and we've even done this ourselves. We've directly compared the Model Three to the Chevy Bolt and to other affordable level um, all electric vehicles. But uh, the article here goes on to say that if you're comparing cost to cost to cost for gas to electric, the Model 3, um, for anybody who's more familiar with cars, comes more directly in competition with the Volvo S90, the Lexus GS, and the Audi A6. And mm-hmm. they're, um, even their direct competition, the 320i, the article says, maxes out at 47000 So their direct competition, they come out with this new slick car and they jump the price up by ten thousand dollars if you want to max it out mm-hmm. almost so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a jump compared to the initial the initial expectations i guess are now just i guess we're gonna have to wait and see and ride it out yeah, but i guess so i mean i feel like for for that the real legitimate trend where electric cars become as commonly used if not more used than you know fuel propelled vehicles it's going to take that. Um, yeah, and I'm seeing more and more Teslas on the streets every day. Yeah, same here. But, you know, how, how many Toyotas do you see compared to Teslas? You know what I mean? Yeah, right. But um, Tesla, so, so far, Tesla has sold 220, 200, around 200,000 cars in total. Mm-hmm. Toyota sells that many Camrys in like a month. In like an hour. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they've been in business since 2000. Well, they started making the Model S in 2012. So since 2012, they have they have sold 200,000 cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this so far, they have close to 500,000 uh, pre-orders for this car. So once these cars starts hitting the streets, you're going to see a lot more uh, of these cars around. 
mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and I welcome that. And I think something that um, this article fails to mention is that while you are paying a higher premium for a fully loaded vehicle, the features this car has that you were talking about earlier in the podcast that the Chevy Bolt and the BMW 320 what's making news and all these other all electric vehicles don't have is one, the fully autonomous capabilities of the No. Hello? Hello? <laughs> I guess I guess we lost Matt there. So, oh, so, I, you guys cut out for a second. Oh yeah, we lost you for a second there too. Yeah. I was like, wow, I have this totally silent. I have the whole floor. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> where did I cut out at? Did I? You should know I better. Um, right when you were re- you started naming the cars again. Okay, um, I was like the direct competition that the thing that the Model Three has that we don't draw a direct comparison. It's not going to sound as good the second time. It sounded great when you guys, <laughs> but um. What the thing what the article fails to mention is that the Model Three brings the fully autonomous driving and the all potential. Huh? the potential of fully autonomous well, driving. Right, it's right, got right. hardware for it, so it's only a matter of time until the software catches up yeah. and the battery technology. And also, um, I the believe char- the Model the Three, network. yeah, the charging network, and the Model Three also has, I think, the longest range currently of all of its competitors so 310 miles is the longest range electric car in this price range yeah right yeah so you are paying more money for the value so it is a better product so therefore it should cost more but then again um i've i've always kind of thought that tesla kind of has a similar following to apple where you have like the the tesla tax where it's like a little more to have the branding Mm -hmm. so and a lot of people are actually comparing this launch um, to the initial iPhone launch. There's oh, so really? hype behind this car that so many people are excited to see what it actually will do to the car market as a whole, not to the just electric car market. And you can already see the effect that Tesla has had on uh, the car market. We've talked in previous podcasts of of car manufacturers deciding to phase starting to phase out uh, their uh, fully combustion engine cars and and making them mo- mo- mainly hybrids and then eventually making them all electric so they're starting they, you can see that change that Tesla has had on the auto market so far um, and they're saying yeah this is the iPhone 2G and then um, the next version of this car is, will be the 3G. The iPhone 3G is the one that really took off that when people really started buying iPhones and where Apple got a hold of the smartphone market. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am curious to see what happens with uh, the competitors as well. Have you guys yeah. heard of um, Lucid? Yeah, Lucid I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't, there's this this video has been floating around this car doing, I think it's like 217 miles per hour. And it, it was, you know, designed to go that fast. It's meant it's not what you'd see on the street, but they have, um, when we're talking about Tesla's pricing here and granted, I mean, there's differences between the two, but Lucid's, uh, air model, it's the starting price of $52,500. It's a 400 horsepower rear wheel drive electric car, 240 mile range. 
um, autonomous driving capability thing, you know, and there's a bunch of upgrades you can get. Um, then they have a launch edition, which is their bells and whistles show off car. It has a thousand horsepower and 315 mile range, and it's priced over a hundred thousand dollars. So if you're looking at Tesla's, you know, what they're doing here, yeah, it's easy to get disappointed. But when you see other manufacturers with prices like that, granted, I'm sure they're not exact, you know, copies. You can't compare them directly. But, you know, $35,000 starting up to about $50,000. The luxury you get in just having an electric vehicle in the first place and the fact that they can offer all all these things and all this um, modern design and innovative technology, I'd... It's it's not absurd for, for right. what you're getting. And look at the, the jokes we were making about Windows ME and Windows CE <laughs> and the specs you needed to run that OS. At the time, that was like considered mid-range, top-of-the-line hardware. Oh, yeah. And I think with electric vehicles, we may have hit kind of the like peak computer and peak chipset and stuff like that for computers. But I think we're going to start seeing almost like a similar Moore's law type effect being applied to electric vehicles where every couple of years, this technology gets better. It gets cheaper. It gets more widely available. And the fact that when you, when you look at it compared to what it's considered, it's direct competition. Sure. You can see the potential for sticker shock. And when you look at it compared to other cars that are labeled as mid range or like mid mid tier cars, you can see sticker shock there, but when you look at it for what it is, an all-electric autonomous vehicle, it's like it's an incredible feat of engineering and technology that we've gotten it to be this cheap. Where fifty thousand dollars is feasibly within the range of most people who are looking to buy a nicer car. Yeah. So I'm excited for the day when you see though that you can go out and get a electric car comparable to this for twenty two thousand dollars or something right. like that. All right. Where... All right. So. So first off, I, I feel like Volvo is going to be the main competitor in this market because they've kind of announced like, oh, all right, we're going to we're going to come at you. We're, we're going to announce our, our entirely electric line. We're going to um, we're going to announce the new like flagship uh, fleet car. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. entirely electric. It's basically what they've they haven't officially announced it, but it's kind of like they're giving you the sign like we're coming at you, Tesla. You release your uh, you release your patents. We're going to we're going to go after that. Second off, hire me, Tesla. I believe in your mission. <laughs> you read my cover letter. I know. I, I believe in it. <laughs> Give me a spot anywhere. I'll, I'll take it. Third off, third off, nobody markets like harder than my man, Irvin Lucas. Nobody. He has the right market. <laughs> Give him the highest model Tesla S. I'm serious. Nobody markets harder than this guy. Nobody. I know you're all about viral marketing. He does not advertise. He takes you on a test drive. <laughs> it's legit. It's legit. Like, seriously, nobody <laughs> markets it. harder than him. I think you're going to see this the, in the 2020s. The top, top model S model. I'm telling you, <laughs> you're listening, Tesla. Elon. Competition. I I bring it on. I don't just as much as possible. I want every single car maker to try to beat Tesla because that just makes everyone better. Yeah, so I'm fine with that. It brings the prices down of the batteries quicker. Right. So if other people are investing money into trying to make these cars into that twenty five, twenty thousand dollar range, the quicker we get there as a whole, the better it is for everyone so that we can move off of these fossil fuels that are 
causing all these issues with global warming and just make a small dent in that and just try to help. And, and the competition is good. I don't care if someone beats Tesla. That means that Tesla has even harder work to try to beat them. And then right. once them, another competition comes in and comes up with a better version. And that play of like trying to beat each other is really good for everyone, the consumer. Healthy competition. Oh, I, yeah. I, I strongly believe in a, a competitive marketplace, but I look at like, what, what does a Ford Fusion cost these days, brand new, on the market? 35, starting, 40? Let's, uh, Something like let's that. go to the books. That's a fleet car. <laughs> yeah, it's the MSRP like on that. <laughs> but the Taurus used to be. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like they're adjusting for inflation. Right. That and it, it sucks because they, they came out and they said, oh, 30, you know, when they came out with it, it was like 35, 40, you know, and now it's gone up a little bit. But it's still 35. It's, you're still, you can just still get an all EV vehicle for $35,000. It's just very bare bones and very stripped down compared to right. what people <laughs> expect when they think of a Tesla product. Yeah. But I think you're going <laughs> to see. We're driving an Urban's Tesla. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you're going to see this really come to a head in the early to mid 2020s. It'll be a similar situation to the 1980s when computing industries were coming out left and right and trying to and trying to beat Windows and Macintosh and um, all of these other companies to be the personal computer, the home computing machine. And both gateway. <laughs> and I think you're going to see um, everything kind of. You're going to see like the, the, the better ones are going to win out and the um, the ones that are you're going to see some like hilarious burning out of other companies going on in the 2020s. But I think that's when it's really going to come to a head. I think we're right at the beginning of this technology because only 10 years ago, Tesla only had what they only had the, the Roadster. The Roadster, right? Yeah. yeah. And now they have four. Now I don't even know if you can buy the Roadster anymore. You can't buy a brand new Roadster. They are going to make one soon. Okay. Uh, but you can't buy a, a roaster currently. Uh, and right? uh, so they have currently three models: the S, X, and the Model Three. So three hundred percent more offerings and much better vehicles to boot. But um, I just saw that uh, pop up, Jeff. The the Ford Fusion MSRP is at twenty two thousand. Yep. So I Base think model. Was, wow. Twenty two. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think you'll see. Electric cars jumping down to that price, maybe even cheaper. And then, also, if there's a if there's a market for used electric vehicles, you may even see um, even cheaper prices. I don't as know people... how. I don't know how. Um, I'd, I'd like to see something like a hot swappable battery eventually with electric cars or something like that. That's one of Tesla's goals, I think, isn't it? Modular. They do. Uh, so all the all the batteries built in to the Model S at least. So this hasn't been confirmed for the Model Three, but the Model S batteries are hot swappable. So you can go. They they, they had plans to like do battery swap stations, and they launched a few in California. But people mm -hmm. rather charge, and uh, uh, they found that most people wouldn't use the battery swapping stations. But they they were stopping anyway, and they was like just plug it in and charge. I could see um, I could see like a, a future though where you have a hot swappable battery and you have the spare somewhere in the car where it's charging as you drive. Mm -hmm. You know, like I can see that. I, I don't know what mod modality would charge it. Obviously, well, it I'm, would be like a gas station. So what Tesla tried to do is sort of make these like convenience stations where you just pull in the car and in like two and a half minutes it would pull out the battery and pop in a freshly charged one. You can be off your way. Uh, so that that they plan for that, but. 
when they launched it, the people didn't really use it. So we'll see what it happens in the future, but it could be definitely uh, something that would reduce the what we what people call range anxiety that might people might have when sure. using electric What would be cool is if they made something because one of the things that Tesla likes to boast about its vehicles is the raw torque of electric vehicles oh, yeah. and its towing ability. It would be interesting to see sort of like a mini camper set or like a mini trailer that you can take camping with you that has solar panels equipped to it and a large battery that would mm -hmm. be also used to charge the vehicle while it's driving and even while it's parked. So you could take road trips with the Tesla through areas that don't have superchargers and yeah. charge it off of solar. That would be cool. Well, I think yeah. part, of the, part of the thing is you can't charge a battery that's being actively, you shouldn't charge a battery that's being actively used. Yeah. I don't even know if it's possible, but if you had a spare, I mean, Irvin, getting to what you were saying about swapping, I think the, the kind of to stem off what you're saying, another anxiety would be if you lose your battery that you know works, what are you going to get from the next one? Um, people probably like owning the thing too and not just kind of like renting so to speak a battery um i think what the, the way that those swapping stations worked is that let's say you were going on a road trip right mm -hmm. you were going to come back anyway to go home so what you would do is go stop at that station swap out your own battery get a new one and on the way back you would return that same battery and get your old one back yeah see i when don't i don't even like that just hearing it like no no offense but i don't know i, don't, I wouldn't want to do that because like yeah i completely agree yeah I, I think that if if you own it and the charging's in in the ball's in your court with that i think you're going to get a lot more play out of consumers with something like that but yeah. anyway i'm just this is my pipe dream of electric cars anyway we don't have to <laughs> hone on this too much no I, I, I like it yeah, yeah, I like your point because why can they not feed off of like brake heat? Why can they not feed off of wind power? Or, you're moving miles and miles and miles. Why can they not feed off of that? You have a secondary battery that charges at the same time your main battery is powering right. the car. I was thinking something even along the lines of, you know, they have they have modes of charging where you have a disc or a circle that spins. And then every time that this magnetic, uh, I think it's a magnet, passes this one spot, there's that magnetic connection between what's on the disc and what's stationary. And that eventually charges the battery. The more it happens, if you could do that on the wheels and have a circuit in the car, charge your, your battery in the trunk, or I, I guess the front is it still called a trunk in a Tesla? I don't know. But the trunk, <laughs> yeah, the trunk, the trunk. But seriously, I, I don't. I, I really don't see other than hopefully not from just trying to get money from the consumer. Why you wouldn't try and invest in something like that? I think that's yeah, ultimately a game changer. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely investing in brand new uh, battery technologies as well as charging technologies. They're trying to cut that and cut that charging time down to minutes, uh, like five five minutes maximum, where you can uh, just plug it in within five minutes. You have a, a full charge ready to go, and they're they're definitely working on that. The bat the tech is not there fully there yet, but uh, they're definitely invested in finding. A yeah, I'm wondering, Kyle, man, you, you laugh, but it's actually called the Frunk. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I, what a I, name, Irvin. I hear you, but at the same time, if they could figure out how to land a rocket and reuse the parts and get it out the door in less than a year, you don't think they can come up with this stuff by now? <laughs> I don't know. That's just my take. But... I agree. <laughs> I knew you would, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm personally excited for the future of electric vehicles. 
Yeah. There's, it oh, could absolutely. go in so many different ways, and it is only the we're witnessing the beginning of it. So yeah. we're all on this ride. And, and like everyone was saying, you know, I mean, the more competition that there is, obviously, like you said, like the batteries will get better. We'll have longer ranges. But I think it'll also see a call to more charging stations being around and a more universal charger, charger being used for everybody. And I think you're going to see so many smaller innovations like that, that that will just allow us to explore more parts of the country or the world. So Yeah, it'll be interesting to see which adapter will come into, into play. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see which charging head Volvo adopts for their electric vehicles. Hmm. If they pick the Tesla head or if they try to make their own. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's competition right there. Fleet cars. Oh, I hope that's, you're so right. That's what's going to happen too, is they're going to use different ones. And then I would expect them to start off using different ones. Yeah. It would be, but I think think people are going to have to start to adapt to each other. It's yeah. like having different kinds. I mean, aside from you know obvious diesel, gas, like having different fuels. It's like oh, there's a fu- Ford gasoline. You have to go to a Ford right. gas station. Like that would be, st- sorry to put it this way, but stupid. Like, yeah, I, it, it, would it would be, be stupid to change the charging head. But. I think yeah, having one standard is very important, and yeah. I think the whole industry has to agree on one standard and then follow that. But yeah, I don't know. Don't. I wonder. And, if- or- I wonder if that's going to be like enforced through regulation because you're you're you know at a point people might be stranded if you don't. I hate to keep making the comparison, but just look back at the '80s. The same thing happened with computers. Everybody had proprietary ports, proprietary display cords, proprietary hardware, and it all kind of just settled down to VGA, DVI, USB, um, USB, and um, like HDMI display ports, stuff like that. So. Tesla's also uh, it's obviously more established with their their charging units already, and the other thing is they also have battery capacity and battery research. Like mm-hmm. they, they, you surely release their patents and everything, but they also have the top of the line batteries already on the market. And they're building that giant gigafactory in Nevada that's supposed to make as many bat as many batteries as the entire world did last year. In yeah. one factory. They have plans for four more of those too. I think. They want to build at least four more around the world of those. I think they just greenlit another impressive. one in Wyoming. <laughs> Wait, Kyle, what's your take, man? <laughs> what's that? What's your take? Uh, it's not, it's, not that impressive. It's, yeah, super, super not impressive making as many batteries as the entire world last year. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't they making five times as many batteries yeah. as the entire yeah, world? Stupid. Yeah, jeez. Ten times. Come on. It's, it's like they don't even care. <laughs> Thanks, Elon. Yeah, be better, Musk. <laughs> Real slacker, that guy. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. He's not slacking on Hyperloop, though. You start seeing those videos, boys? Yeah, man. Yeah. I shared yeah. it on the page. Mm-hmm. Almost at 200 miles an hour. Uh, so he's looking he mm-hmm. yeah, does, he, does he even own Hyperloop 1? No, he he just threw the out threw the idea out there. He's like, "Hey, I don't have the time to work on this right now. Here's my idea." <laughs> People just start working on it. He's a genius. <laughs> People are like, "Okay, Elon, we'll just build this for you. Take my no idea. big deal. We'll spend yeah. the money for you." Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I'm fully behind the future of. I gotta start doing that. Behind the yeah. future, Matt, I don't all, have time. All... Just do this for me. Then I just Why go can... in the room. And... Matt, we're all behind the future, Matt. We're all behind the future. Absolutely. So, <laughs> off to I think is good. 
stop place to stop and and move on to the next topic and it's sort of related i want to bring it so we can tie it into what we were just talking teslas and they're becoming more high-tech cars are becoming more high-tech everything is just being uh put with electronics computers and um there's been a lot this big movement for the fight to keep the right to repair these uh, devices that we have. And now that also includes cars because cars are sort of turning into these mobile computers. And let's mm-hmm. see if it breaks. Do you really have to go to a Tesla service station or a Ford service station to get it fixed? Like back in the day, you just open the hood and start fixing your car. You didn't require anything, anyone's appro- approval or permission to do that. Uh, so there's been a big movement for companies like Apple uh, to stop blocking people from trying to repair their devices um, so that it's easier for them to go to any little mom and pop shop where they offer that service where they can fix a device. Uh, but right now, these companies are blocking the, uh, the schematics that these companies need, these repair shops need to start going into these devices and, and be able to repair them or give them the tools uh, that they need. The poster uh, child for this is Apple. Yeah. The poster child oh. for blocking, for making, it, the one that gets the most publicity at least is Apple. And I can almost lend a, a personal anecdote to this because my roommate just got the screen on her iPhone replaced. She has an iPhone 7. And we didn't take it to a repair shop. I found a part on eBay and my roommate uh, replaced the screen for her. And the process of taking that phone apart is one of the more grueling things I've ever witnessed. Like um, there's so many like proprietary screws and sets and things that Apple has that you have to get specialty from somewhere else. And on top of that, like, there's no widely available tutorials for it. There's parts, right? You have to get third-party parts that you might not be legitimate that you bought off eBay and they might not work. And there were stories where if you would put uh, on previous iPhones, if you replace the screen, your Touch ID would stop working because Apple couldn't verify that that was a valid screen. Like, Mm -hmm. there would be a... Uh, so he actually had to carry the touch ID over to the new screen. In order. Yes, you have to because they build in security things for uh, the touch ID where it requires that it be transferred over to the new phone or else right. it will never work again. Right. And they've been fighting that ever since they stopped supporting the Lisa, the Apple Lisa back in the 80s. They've Everything from that point on has been incredibly hard to repair, has been closed system. And... The the one thing that not many people know about Apple is only the last couple of years have they really put a concerted effort into trying to reduce their e-waste. And um, their smartphones from the iPhone 6 backwards are notoriously hard to recycle in such a way that recycling companies will actually just discard them to landfills rather than dealing with the actual process of of funneling out all the parts to appropriately do it because it's so expensive to do it to dispose of the lithium to dispose of the lenses all of the material that goes into making the phone um and that with this two-year phone replacement cycle that we've kind of gotten ourselves into 
it's almost like planned obsolescence has almost become like a status quo for smartphones. And like, as a result of that, we create this incredible amount of e-waste getting rid of smartphones. Can I also point out from the iPhone 6 forward, um, I I feel like more consumers have actually purchased the phone outright um, unlocked as opposed to through wireless carriers where it was beforehand, where you had insurance policies that were in place and you would pay the full contract of the phone over to your plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and people are starting to kind of catch on to the carrier's schemes and try to get stuff that isn't loaded with their bloatware. And that was one of the big draws to Apple. They don't have that. They have their own deals they've worked out. But um, it's just that their phones are impossible to repair, so people would rather just replace it. And that phone just gets thrown out. Yeah. So, and now phones are so high end, like you don't need to replace it every two years. The phone that you have, like it, it'll do in two years the same thing that it does now, like Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all that text message, iMessage, whatever you're using. It'll keep doing that. The phones are so high tech nowadays that there's no need for them to be thrown out after two years and get a brand new one. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I kept my last smartphone until it literally like wouldn't stay on for more than two hours. Like, and I plan mm-hmm. on doing the same thing with this one. Uh, it's 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 funny because I've I've referenced my previous employer so many times, but they used to never. So we started buying smart device smartphones, and um, it started with iPhones initially. And at first, we didn't buy them broken, and then it became such a like if they if it wouldn't turn on at all, if it was completely dead, or if it was so shattered everywhere, like part you know, say if the screen was so broken that you saw some of the stuff underneath. Uh, and then they realized, well, if if you're just gonna throw it away, we'll give you like ten bucks for it, just so we have those parts because the third party parts became so unreliable. They were spending more money on mm-hmm. on repairing that same device again with it being returned uh, versus they can take that broken phone, take that apart, and now use those same, you know, find out what's working and use those parts to repair anything on a phone that's at least in better shape physically. Right. And you see that happen on eBay too, recycling of phones. People yep. will sell busted phones. It'll say broken, like, colon for parts, something like that. And I've actually I've actually done that. Like, I've, I've purchased phones that, w- that had a cracked screen because I needed a, a new battery or something like that before. Um, but... But yeah, you're right. People can just replace parts of their phone and extend the life by that much further. Like my Nexus 6P had a, had an issue where the battery was shutting down in the winter. It, the worst case scenario, it shut down at around 60% battery. Wow. It just shut off. And it, Mine's getting there. Yeah. And it's, it's a, I'm going to tell you from personal experience, it is a rapid process that that battery deteriorates once you first start to see those issues happen because um, it got to the point where during, even if I was maintaining the temperature and it wasn't getting too cold, the battery would die probably around 20%, 15%. Never once saw mine is now. 10, 9, yeah. So replacing the battery, it's, it's as snappy and good and brand new as the day that I got it. So it's... It's not. It's it's nice to be able to do that, and having this capability is good because it it saves people money. But that's probably why they don't want us to do it. I'd like to see a lot of change uh, with this, especially when it comes to batteries. Um, I, there's there's a human element that goes to this too that a lot of the consumers don't think about. But it's where do the resources come from to build these devices? 
if -hmm. you can keep smartphones um primarily batteries in reuse for longer you're actually going to wind up ideally changing the world because um maybe not directly but have you guys heard of uh coltan it's columbite tantalite it's mm-hmm. it's uh one of, it's a metallic ore that's used in capacitors for electronic devices, primarily smartphones, and it's um mined in the uh, in Congo, and it's basically like like the new blood diamond. Um, it's like causing conflict amongst the people there. There's people who are fighting to stay in control of the resource mining. There are people being enslaved to harvest it, and you know it's 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 uncomfortable to talk about, but if you have devices just basically being able to have parts replaced, have people go to st- shops and get them replaced instead of getting new devices, every single smartphone that you keep out there and keep using instead of you know, cycling through to a new one for some silly reason or not being able to maintain because you need to get a whole new device with a whole new battery instead of just being able to swap the old one out or something simple like that. Um, right. You know, it has it has an effect somewhere else too. So I think that this is a little beyond just um, for the people who are making the phones, making money off of it. You're you're actually affecting people's lives if you can allow people to fix their own phones and reuse the devices and keep them out there longer. Have you ever heard of the Fairphone? I haven't. The Fairphone tried to do that. Um, it was a modular Android smartphone sourced from ethically sound um, distributors and conflict-free parts obtained. Um, They uh, were running into some issues recently where it's just the phone is older, so it's just harder to find those parts anymore. So they're, I think, slowly kind of fading out. But people have done that, and there are is a recognized concerted effort to get phones to be replaced. And the Fairphone is a perfect example of that for conflict-free phones and it's really cool to see those phones because um, they have, like I was saying, modular parts. Like if you need to replace something, it just snaps in and it's replaced. Then that's it. And, and you can get spare parts from their site. And it costs a little more money, but and you're not getting as high end of a phone, but it's ethically sourced. So it's kind of a trade off at this and point. But yeah. I, I think that one of the biggest questions is, and I mean, I don't know if if we're, we're definitely not the right people to answer that question, but, uh, you know, you say, you know, we, we want to be able to hold on or people should want to be able to hold on to their phones longer just so they're not replacing them and having to go with the next one. And then obviously because that requires more mining and stuff like that, but do do those ethics fall on us or does it fall on the people making them? Like if, if Apple puts out three different versions of an iPhone every single year, and I'm a big fan of, you know, I, I, they know that that the only reason they do that is because they know that people will do it. They know that the urge to, to have the latest and greatest exists. And is it, is it on me because that's what I've been trained to do over the years? Or is it on the people creating these things because they could easily be like, you know what, we don't want to support these kinds of practices as often as we currently are. So let's put out a phone every two to three years because your phone is great. It works just fine. Mm -hmm. And then add into the fact, Hey, we can help you repair them. We can make it easy. X, Y, Z. Is it really us or is it, Hey, um, you just bought that too. You know, uh, you missed the initial reserves for the iPhone. 
So you couldn't get one until December, and then in January we put out commercials teasing that we're making another one in September. Yeah, I think I think so, so. The second you bought it, it's no longer relevant because we already have a next uh, uh, our next one on in the works. Getting you excited about how you should get rid of the one that you have that we're going to throw into a landfill and make another one that we got through uh, potentially nefarious practices. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think you're spot on, and um, I I don't think it falls directly on a consumer, obviously, um, or at least it's obvious to me. Yeah, um, right. That but, being said, I, it's definitely good to make people aware. Something that I wasn't as aware of as as I am after talking to you guys about it, but it's, 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 I do appreciate the knowledge. I think it is something that's, that you should be aware of, but, um, but it's, I think the people at the head of these, some of these companies should be aware too. There's a, there's people from, you know, who are, who are activists or involved in the UN who are calling upon the companies to change the, the way they go about this, the way that their supply chains are audited. Um, so that the consumer actually knows that it's a conflict free product. Um, mm-hmm. Or they're calling Good. for alternatives to Coltan, um, which we'll see what happens. But and also that being said, I still want newer smartphones. Oh yeah, we all do. Like, <laughs> the desire is there to like be on the bleeding edge, but it should be an option to those who want to stay with their current phone to know that they could easily grab a broken version of that phone and just kind of harvest it for parts to keep their phone alive. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about phones a lot, but it doesn't just apply to phones. I want to make that very clear. Yeah. It's a, every piece of technology that we currently have, uh, right. this applies to. Um, and we talked about one on the break a little bit. That's I was talking about it with Ryan. The One of the biggest examples of this, and something that I just realized is that during the break is rather a passionate subject to Ryan himself as a person. But uh, John Deere is <laughs> is uh, notorious for being the farmers who use their products is notorious for being at the forefront of this right to repair because the software and firmware that comes with those tractors is super locked down and it doesn't let them repair parts. It like reports back if they're tinkering with the tractor itself and makes it really user unfriendly to have a tractor and you would think a tractor would be something that they would be able to just rip apart and just completely build up again from the ground it should be something that's as easy to take apart as it is to put together right and i, and I grew up with a kubota from 1972 and i used to ooh. i used to mow for hours with that thing and i <laughs> love that tractor it was the greatest tractor i love that thing and I, I remember i used to go i used to go up to uh it was penn state they had like a like a whole farm show every every it was once a year mm-hmm. agricultural like following it was a commune they come in together and they'd show off their tractors and stuff and i'd, I'd look at the tractors and like people were bringing in tractors from 1912 1910 these things just kept running man these are diesel engines they just kept going mm-hmm. they didn't yeah. need cpus to regulate them they didn't need any any form of tag they were just they were good engines you had a, yeah. you had a reasonable like uh reliable fuel to 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 fuel it you know you didn't need any any type of cpu to regulate it and now right, it's like right. oh, we're just gonna build these in real quick just so you can violate warranties and all this other crap yeah so we, yeah like we were talking about in order to get it fixed it, it costs four hundred dollars just to get a john deere tech to come out to your house and that's only for three hours if he's there for longer he charges more and if he starts actually fixing it there's a charge right. for that and there's charge for parts and it's all coming from one supplier so you can't get cheaper parts and it just kind of escalates from there 
So exactly. if I'm spending I, that kind of money, you better send Mr. John Deere himself to my doorstep. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, that's similar. It's, I mean, obviously with tractors, it's there too. But with like uh, like home theater, I had a home theater system, and something happened where there's overload in the circuits, like a capacitor blew, something like that. And mm-hmm. to have a tech look at it, it cost you a couple hundred dollars, and mm-hmm. to buy a new system was 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. Yeah. See, I, I see this as like some kind of marketing ploy, whereas all these farmers, they they have a, re, a reliable fuel, fuel source, a reliable engine that's been running for years, and they're going to they're gonna put in a CPU that says, oh, all of a sudden it's not working right, so bring in this expensive tech, you know, and then you're out how many hundreds of dollars. Just it's get the shady mechanic added. tactic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what yeah. it, that's what it looks like. It's a, it's a marketing ploy. Yeah. It's, it's like Oh, these are a bunch was, of Midwest yeah. farmers. They don't they're not educated on this stuff. They don't know CPUs and stuff like that. They don't know how it works. They're gonna yeah. go, Oh yeah, whatever you tell me. Yeah. It's like I was here to work on your muffler, but you are several software updates behind the latest version of right. John Deere. <laughs> 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 yeah. You need to upgrade then, the corn version 2.0. <laughs> and uh, a, lot, a lot of these um, these John Deere tractor owners have actually been flashing firmware from Ukrainian versions of John Deere that have been cracked <laughs> in order <laughs> to save money. <laughs> in order to save money and actually be able to fix their tractors because oh, they know man. what they're doing. They know how to fix it. They're just locked out by the software. Yep. So, so there, there's all these tractors running around in the American Midwest with Ukrainian cracked software running on it that they got from whatever torrenting site they went to and flashed their tractors <laughs> with it. Yeah. So there's a lot of people. There's yeah. There's a lot of people that are working towards getting getting that information out, even though it might not be quote unquote legal, but they want to educate people on how to repair their their uh, devices. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the guys who I follow, I don't I don't think I've shared this with you uh, before, but there's an awesome YouTube channel. There's a guy called Lewis Rossman. He runs a repair shop in New York City uh, that all he does is repair Apple stuff, Apple laptops. Um, he doesn't do iPhones, but he, he works with another uh, company in New York City that, that works on Apple repair or phone repairs in particular. But he just works on the MacBooks uh, for anything that uh, Genius Bar or uh, that needs to be sent to Apple where they're going to charge an exorbitant amount of money, sometimes even more than the actual laptop is worth uh, to send in and fix. So I want to give a shout out to his channel on YouTube, his Lewis Rossman, and he shows you the exact steps mm-hmm. on how to fix every single problem that he runs across. He does a daily live stream every single day in his office while he's working, showing you the exact process with the microscope saying, okay, if you have this issue, you need to re- replace this resistor using this. And he give, he uh, has acquired in certain ways the schematics for these uh, models for uh, MacBooks and MacBook Pros that he works off of. And he's learned exactly how all of these work. Uh, uh, work and how to repair them and he's sharing that knowledge every single day and, and spreading that uh, spirit of the right to repair and and uh, I like that, give yeah, that that's a- awesome. I've been following this guy almost daily he uploads daily so I, every time I have a chance I catch his uh, latest uploads so if you have a chance uh, to check him out it's Lewis Rossman on uh, YouTube 
if, you've been, uh, if you've got a chance, we can put that in the show notes. Yeah, I was going to say we can link Definitely. to it in the yeah. show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. yeah, I like that. Yeah, if you want to save a link for that channel. And mm-hmm. another one that's um, a little more well-known uh, from people who were looking for tutorials on how to fix stuff is iFixit. Yeah. And they're great because not only do they do that, but they also provide step-by-step write-ups as well of each episode or of each um of each repair tutorial that they do and not to mention they also um sell in uh in like kits the tools required to actually do the repairs yourself yep. so i i think that's important like there's they have this they have the screw uh driver bits for even proprietary apple uh hardware and i remember seeing uh, my one roommate uh picked up the 64 piece kit and that actually comes with those you guys ever see those like two hooked screws that like are commonly found in like those bathroom screw holes like for put keeping together like the toilet paper dispensers and stuff it looks like two little oh, holes yeah. in the middle of the screw they come with those screw heads too, so you can see that toilet paper i knew <laughs> just go and like take a bathroom apart or something like that <laughs> Oh yeah, but, uh, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I know mine yeah, is online I purchases. Just, <laughs> I, I just like how they give you everything, <laughs> and they make it super easy. And like the, it's those types of efforts that I think is important, and keeping kind of the spirit of being able to fix your technology alive. Mm-hmm. Because some people aren't going to want to, and that's perfectly fine. They can choose to pay to get it fixed or to go somewhere else, but if the person they're paying to fix it has to be a rep from that company, then I think there's something inherently wrong with their practices. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Set up hardware. I agree. And, should... and I, I know we mentioned in an earlier episode, the amount of torque that electric, electric battery, like auto autonomous cars, like Tesla could provide in potential tractors, potential uh, tractor trailer type, mm-hmm. you know, automobiles like tractors aren't necessarily there yet. Leave the diesel to the diesel. Don't give them CPUs and give them that crap. <laughs> they don't need it. <laughs> they've been reliable for over a century like leave them the, leave them alone that's so just someone far. finding a chance to make some money off of a, right. off of a thing that's never going anywhere so. yeah exactly mm-hmm. if you yeah. come out with an autonomous tractor then that's then that's a different that's a different ball game altogether but if you're going to keep selling them john deere's with the cpu all of a sudden like that's that's bull <laughs> if, they, if they do like it then make it build the software on top of it not not make the hardware dependent on the software right right make the software report back to the mothership if you start taking it apart moat mode. Like that. build me a moat press a button <laughs> i'll build your moat button. <laughs> what's the trick it's uh, i it's it's keep, an, you made a 1972 tractor i'll, I'll get it done you know uh, keep, keep keep the invading horde at bay <laughs> to see you like going around outside of his house huge smile on your face just taking a <laughs> with a tractor where's thompson oh he's building jeff a moat <laughs> uh, but yeah um does anybody have any closing points that they wanted to bring up on right to repair and how important it is for the average consumer to be aware of this whole industry that's going on? No? I'm just going to go wrestle an alligator and get it for your moat. That's all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll get it done. Don't worry. I can't wait. Crikey. I can't wait. I'll work on the draw. Yeah. You, you can kick it. Uh, okay. You, oh, you would you would best navigator. I'll put it that way. 
<laughs> Dude, it's all in the beard. It's all in That's the beard. Cool. <laughs> I like it. But uh, I think with that being said, I think that this is the... I think that's the that's it for episode thirteen. Yeah, thanks Woo-hoo. for tuning in. Yeah, thanks, um, guys. yeah. So plugs in, huh? Yeah. So I was I was about to just roll into that. I'll say, um, if any of you listeners are looking to catch up with us or looking to tell your friends about our channel, you can find us on any of your favorite podcatchers if you use our RSS feed, which can be found at industry4o.podbean.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube. Um, we're on TuneIn, um, iTunes, Google Play, every major podcasting distribution service out there. Remember, five star reviews will get called out. We'll get a yeah. shout out on the air. So, and we're gonna do. A, we can go through before we do episode fourteen and uh, kind of collect any and call people out. And you know what? I'll even call out people leaving less and that'll call out whoever stars. Oh, whoever what's up now? If they have any contribution whatsoever, any kind of um, advice for the show or anything that they would like to say within reason, then we could call that out on the podcast. So with that being said, this has been episode 14 and we'll see you guys in the next one.